If you're able, would you remain standing? We're turning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, for our scripture reading. Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to read verses 13 through 23 of Matthew 16. This is the word of our Lord, Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you would indeed open our eyes to see glorious things concerning you. We pray that you would... uh, Sanctify us, even as we hear your word proclaimed, for asking in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Does anybody know what happened on May 21st, 1942? May 21st, 1942. Lucy Lehman was born on that day. But that's not the event that we want to consider uh, this morning. The event I wanted to build our sermon around is actually, actually it took place on May 21st, 1922, 20 years before Mrs. Lehman was born. On May 21st, 1922, the celebrated Baptist preacher, Harry Emerson Fosdick, preached the infamous sermon titled, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? He preached that sermon at First Presbyterian Church in New York City. And uh, that, this sermon led to his eventual being barred from that pulpit, though he wasn't kicked out of the pulpit on the basis of what he said. It was on the basis of a technicality. Somebody complained and since he was a Baptist in the Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian said, well, let's just ask him not to preach in the Presbyterian Church anymore. Ironically, the, this sermon also 
gave him a new church because as a reaction to it, John D. Rockefeller Jr. built Riverside Church, a massive building in New York City, so that Fosdick would have a pulpit to continue to spread his lies, his satanic teaching according, uh, about the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Fosdick felt compelled to preach this sermon because of the noise that the fundamentalists were making in the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. That's a denomination that we often refer to as the PCUSA. And also what the the, the noise the fundamentalists were making in the American Baptist uh, Conference, among other denominations. Now, some of you hear the word fundamentalist and you start sweating cold, a cold sweat. You start to feel sick to your stomach because of an experience that you had, an experience involving legalism and judgmental attitudes. Perhaps you were part of a church that was more concerned with the length of your skirt than the state of your soul. Perhaps you're in the church that was more concerned with the outward appearance than where your heart was. This is not the kind of fundamentalists that we are talking about here. And it's not the kind of fundamentalists that Fosdick was referring to in his sermon when he asked, shall the fundamentalists win? The fundamentalism that Fosdick was concerned about held the Bible as the highest authority for faith and for living. He was concerned by, that these people, Fosdick was concerned that these people who really believed the Bible were too backward, too backwater. He was afraid that they were really disturbing the church about matters that didn't really matter. That they should just be quieted or silenced because the things that they thought were important weren't that important. This is what Fosdick says. It is interesting to note where the fundamentalists are driving in their stakes to mark out the deadline of doctrine around the church across which no one is to pass except on terms of agreement. So Fosdick says, look, it, it, look at what the fundamentalists are calling are the boundaries of the church, that things that we have to agree upon in order to be part of the church. And you can see sarcasm and disdain kind of just pouring out of what he is saying. He continues, they insist that we must all believe in the historicity of certain special miracles, prominently the virgin birth of our Lord. What an absurd idea, Fosdick said, that we need to believe that the Bible, when the Bible says that Jesus was virginly conceived, that we need to believe in that. He continues, that we must believe in a special theory of inspiration, that the original documents of the scripture, which of course we do not no longer possess, were inherently dictated to men a good deal as a man might dictate to a stenographer says, can you believe that these fundamentalists believe that the Bible is actually inspired by God and is free of mistakes and they require that we believe that? That's crazy talk, in, according to Fosdick. He didn't stop there. He says that we must believe in a special theory of the atonement, that the blood of our Lord Jesus shed in a substitutionary death, placates an alienated deity and makes possible welcome for the returning sinner. It says, 
Can you believe these people say that you must believe that Jesus died to save sinners? Isn't is something that we must believe? Fosdick said. And then he finished, and that we must believe in the second coming of our Lord. He says, these are crazy things. Can you believe that these, is what, these, these are the things that these fundamentalists are believing? And they, are, they want us to believe that too? He was worried about this, these narrow-minded folks who thought that if you didn't believe that Christ died in the place of sinners... You didn't have a place as ministers in the church of Jesus Christ. These fundamentals are saying that in order to be a pastor, you need to believe that Jesus is the Savior. And Fosdick says, that's, how can they say that and require that of pastors? According to Fosdick, these backwater fundamentalists even believe that the Bible is inspired by God and free of mistakes. Fosdick again says, Consider another matter on which there is a sincere difference of opinion among evangelical Christians. He says, look, let me tell you about something that Christians disagree upon. He says, the inspiration of the Bible is something that really nobody agrees with each other, and it's okay. He says, one point of view is that the original documents of the scripture were inherently dictated by God to men, whether we deal with the story of creation or the list of the dukes of Edom or the narratives of Solomon's reign or the Sermon on the Mountain or the 13th chapter of Corinthians. They they all came in the same way and they all came as no other book ever came. They were inherently dictated. Everything there, scientific opinions, medical theories, historical judgments, as well as spiritual insights, is infallible. That is one idea of the Bible's inspiration, but, but side by side with those who hold it, lovers of the book, as much as they, are multitudes of people who never think about the Bible. So, he said, look, whether the Bible is the Word of God or not, it's something just to take it or leave it. We can disagree on that. That was Fosdick's point. I hope you, you have noticed by now that Fosdick is railing against Bible-believing Christians who thought that doctrinal purity and holy living go hand-in-hand because they go hand-in-hand in the Bible. So as we celebrate this 100th anniversary, or perhaps as we remember this 100th anniversary of the preaching of this infamous sermon, I want us to ask this question. So the, the original title of the sermon was, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? 100 years later, Let's ask ourselves, have the fundamentalists won? And to answer this question, we'll first turn to the scriptures and then briefly to, to the book of Providence. And as we begin, let me ask you this, what is a win? What is a win? Well, a win is a church that is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Nothing short of that is a win. As the master teacher, Jesus asks the greatest question here in this passage. Look at verse 13. He says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That, that is the question that's before us today. That's the question that's before all of humanity. And this is the most important question that you can be asked. And there are at least four possible answers to this question that we find throughout the New Testament. First one is the answer that the scribes and Pharisees gave. 
Who do you say that I am? Jesus would ask the Pharisees. The answer? An imposture. You are an imposture. Now, these, are, these were the religious leaders of the nation, the makers of public opinion. And the answer to Jesus would be, you are an imposter. They were sure they were right, the Pharisees were, and the religious leaders. And when Jesus came, differing from them, they were quick to declare him a heretic. The Pharisees preached good works unto salvation, and Jesus came preaching the grace of God unto salvation. And Jesus denounced them as hypocrites. And that, just that was enough to convince the Pharisees that Jesus was a dangerous character and needed to be put away lest he corrupts the people with this heretical teaching that they don't have to do good works in order to be saved. Now, this view was shared by the French revolutionaries, especially Voltaire. That, that was this, this position that he was a, uh, Jesus was an imposter. He was a deceiver. He was there just to gain power to himself. It was also the position of Karl Marx. So if, you're, uh, if you are enamored with socialism, if you're enamored with communism, the foundation of communism is a claim that Jesus Christ is an imposter. So be careful with the ideas that you might toil with. Now, these days, nowadays, very few people would accuse Jesus of being an imposter. A more popular answer to this question, who do you say that I am, is the answer that some Jewish leaders gave at the time of Jesus. Men like Nicodemus were not willing to call Jesus an imposter. They would rather call him a great religious teacher. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For Nicodemus at that time, Jesus was nothing more than a great teacher of the law. And if you think about it, this is really the answer of the world today. People are willing to say that Jesus was a good man whose teachings are worth following. This was Fosdick's answer. And in my own life, that's my dad's answer. He's willing to say that Jesus was a great teacher, a good teacher, and you should generally follow what he said. The people in the Eastern religions are willing to accept that. Jesus is a good teacher, a great teacher, just like Buddha or Confucius. And this is also the answer of the mainstream denominations in the United States. The Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, PCUSA, the United Methodist Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Conference of America. That's what they believe concerning Jesus. He's a great teacher. You should give him a try. Most of what he says is worth listening to. I hope you can see this. I hope you can see that it's impossible for Jesus to be just a great teacher. He cannot be that. He can be an imposter. But he cannot be just a great teacher because he claims to be something else. So he can be a liar. That's the idea of an imposter. He can be a lunatic. He can be crazy. Or he can be exactly who he says he is. But he cannot be just a great teacher because he claims to be more. This is the prevalent answer of today. Jesus was a good man. But there's yet a third answer. And this is the answer of the masses of the common people at Jesus' time. Look at verse 14. When Jesus asked the question in verse 14, so they said, 
Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The people thought that Jesus was a prophet, like Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or a number of the other prophets. And they had some basis for that. Remember, Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah. Even though the nation of Israel was really looking forward to the Messiah, they were not really admitting that he would actually come. So they would be more welcoming of Elijah, a second coming of Elijah, than the first coming of the Messiah. So, okay, hey, this guy must be Elijah. He's not quite the Messiah, but he must be Elijah. Others notice that Jesus came with the same message as John the Baptist. Remember, the first sermon recorded by Jesus is also his shortest. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, which is exactly the same message as John the Baptist. So they said, hey, it's just another incarnation of John the Baptist. Others thought that Jesus' message of judgment resembled Jeremiah's prophecies of doom, so he must be a prophet like Jeremiah. The people were not willing to recognize the true identity of Jesus, but they were willing to recognize him as a prophet from God. And this answer is also the answer of the cults and false religions of today. Jesus is an angel from God, the Mormons say. Jesus was a prophet of Allah, Islam says. A man indwelt by the power of God, Jehovah Witnesses say. But none of them are willing to say Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And then there is a final answer, the final answer for this morning. The answer of Peter and the other apostles. In verse 15, Peter says, no, Jesus says, But do, who do you say that I am? So listen to this question. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the, that's the answer that Jesus was interested from his disciples. He didn't care about what those other people out there believed. He wanted to know what his people, those disciples believed. And he asks you to, to you today, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? The answer in verse 15. He said to them, uh, verse 14, sorry. He said, so they said, We'll get it right. It's verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter speaks as a representative of the apostles and says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Peter says that Jesus is not just a wise man or a prophet. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter recognized that Jesus was God incarnate, that Jesus was the Christ, the Redeemer of Israel, that the, the one that came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what a win looks like. Declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is on this truth that the church is built. See that in verses 18 through 20. And I want you to notice that Jesus says that it is upon this divinely inspired statement that he will build his church. In verse 17, again, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, and I also say to you that on, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Fawzik says, the Bible is a great book, but let's not get carried away with it. Jesus says that the words came directly from the Father, who is perfect, and only says that it, what is true and perfect. 
Notice also that without this truth, there is no church. It is on this truth that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the church will be built. Fawzik was arguing for an institution that was tolerant of all ideas concerning Jesus in the Bible. Jesus says that whatever is that thing that Fosdick was arguing for, that's not the church. If you take away the Bible as the inspired and infallible Word of God, and if you take Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, you don't have a church. You may have the synagogue of Satan, but you do not have a church. Do you realize that the, the most offensive claim that Jesus makes is that you either embrace him as he reveals himself in the Bible, or you go to hell? That's the, that, the exclusivity of Jesus. People are okay with Jesus being a way. People are okay with his being an option, but that's not what he says. He says you either embrace him completely, or you're going to go to hell, where you're going to suffer the wrath of God for all eternity for your sins. It's nobody else's fault. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the most offensive claim of Christianity. Not one among many, but the only one. And Fosdick said, no, 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 no. Jesus is just one of many. Notice thirdly, that the church built on what God says concerning Christ cannot be defeated. A church built upon the truth that Christ, that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, cannot be defeated. Look at verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hades, uh, traditionally translated hell here, some other passages, some other translations do death. But Hades is the underworld and stands for death itself, which has been defeated in the resurrection of Christ. Hades stands for the dominion of Satan that has been defeated, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not even the last enemy will stand in the way of Jesus Christ himself building his church. Fawzik says, we don't need a Jesus who literally comes back, came back to life. We just need a Jesus that's spiritually alive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The church doesn't exist without me. Brothers and sisters, the religion of Fosdick and liberals is not Christianity. Because without the Christ of the Bible, there is no Christianity. And, and as we approach the end here, I want to go back to the answers that we saw, that we considered, the four answers that we considered earlier on. These were the answers given at the time of Jesus. These are the answers given when Jesus directly asked the question, but they're also the answers that mankind has given ever since. 
which one of these four answers is the appropriate one for you? Which one is the one that we can rely on? Which one has the best group attached to it? The first answer, you're an imposter, Jesus, given by the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They knew very little about Jesus. Their self-righteousness did not allow them to come under the teaching of a man who did not think a problem talking with sinners. They did not follow Jesus from town to town to listen to what he had to say. They didn't witness all of Jesus' mighty works. They didn't find it necessary to examine Jesus' doctrine more closely. The bottom line is that they did not know Jesus. Their opinion of Jesus was based on the fear of losing control over the people. So if if your answer to, to the question, who do you say Jesus is, is that he's an imposter. You're siding with people who didn't, knew nothing about Jesus. You're taking the ignorance position. You know, there is, it's popular now to be called an agnostic. Oh, I'm an agnostic, which is a claim that there's not enough evidence to know if there's a God or not. All you're saying is that you're dumb. You're, you're ignorant. That you are unintelligent. So don't embrace with pride that term. Because you're siding with the losing side of history. The second question we saw, the second answer, is one pronounced by, Jesus, by, by Nicodemus and others, that Jesus is a great teacher. These, maybe, these people knew a little more about Jesus. They felt that it was unfair to condemn the young teacher from Galilee without hearing what he had to say. Men like Nicodemus came by night to learn more about Jesus' teaching. Uh, and this contact with Jesus, Jesus compelled them to reject the idea that Jesus was a deceiver and caused him, them to say that Jesus was a great rabbi and, and sent by God. But they still didn't know much about Jesus. So let's not side with it, again, partially ignorant. The third answer, Jesus is a prophet. These are the masses. They were with, the, with Jesus. They knew some about Jesus, but still not quite the answer. The fourth answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, was given by those who had unparalleled intimacy with Jesus in the history of humanity. They knew Jesus. They were in constant contact with Jesus throughout his whole ministry. They witnessed every single miracle performed by Jesus. And after all that intimate contact that the twelve had with Jesus, the only answer they could give to him was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you want evidence? Here's the evidence. Those that knew Jesus best could not help but say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is your answer? What is, what is your answer? Who is Christ? Are you going to answer with Fosdick and say he was the greatest teacher who had some really nice things to say? Or is he the, the Christ, the Son of God Almighty? You need to get this right. You need to get it right because the destiny of your soul depends on it. And I'm not looking, and God's not just looking for some cognitive assent to this answer. Is your whole being, your whole life answering You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to finish this morning by returning to the question 
That is the title of this, of this sermon, the one that I'm preaching right now, not for a Zik sermon. Have the, fundament, have the fundamentalists won. The aftermath of the, the aftermath, what became known as a modernist fundamentalist controversy in the Presbyterian Church was that hundreds of ministers were kicked out from their pulpits and lost their pensions. Many lost their houses because they lived in a manse. Hundreds of churches lost their buildings. Some of them had been in their buildings for over 100 years because they believed in the Christ that we just talked about. They were kicked out. Their bank accounts were seized by the denomination because they were assets of the church. Churches and ministers who believed the scripture to be the word of God and Jesus Christ to be the Christ, the son of the living God, were left destitute, as it were. The Synod of Washington, of the Presbyterian Church in the United States of, of America, pronounced the following verdict against Roy T. Brumbaugh, the first pastor of the Tacoma Bible Presbyterian Church. And he pronounced the following verdict because Dr. Brumbaugh refused to support missionaries that denied the Bible and Jesus. Dr. Brumbaugh convinced his church to only sponsor missionaries that affirm the Bible to be the Word of God and Jesus Christ to be the Savior that the Bible teaches. The church found him guilty of that and said this, Whereas you, Roy Talmadge Brumbaugh, have been convicted by sufficient proof of the sins of insubordination and violation of your ordination vows in your disapproval of the government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in these United States of America, and by your sin and unfaithfulness have brought reproach on the cause of your master, we therefore, the special judicial commission of the Synod of Washington, acting under the authority of Jesus Christ, do thereby, do hereby, depose and exclude you from the office of minister of the gospel and to prohibit you from exercising henceforth any of the powers and the duties of that office. Dated November 7th, 1935. He was convicted of the sin of only wanting to support missionaries that held the Bible as the word of God and Christ as the savior of the world. He was convicted of the sin of believing that pastors should believe that Christ is the only one that can save people by having died for them to appease God's wrath. He was found guilty of believing that the miracles that Jesus performed actually happened. He was found guilty of believing that pastors should believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and now reigns in heaven. And he was convicted by a group of people who said they were doing that as faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, calling him and many others as unfaithful to Christ. In Collinswood, New Jersey, the congregation that would become the Collinswood Bible Presbyterian Church left the building they had built and for months worshipped the Lord in a tent, in an empty lot, in a tent. And this was representative of hundreds of churches, all because they stood for the word of God and the testimony of of Jesus Christ. And from this perspective, it looks like the fundamentalists lost. The liberals successfully purged the, the Presbyterian Church from those who were willing, who were not willing to compromise with heretical beliefs concerning the Bible and Jesus Christ. But there's more to the story. The daughter churches 
of the original fundamentalists in the aggregate have steadily grown in membership as they remain faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. They have sent missionaries to the four corners of the world who started other churches that are vibrantly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The Presbyterian Church in the USA, the PCUSA, has seen its membership and influence decline drastically year after year. Its gospel of human goodness is driving its own members away. So have the fundamentalists won? Well, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and on that truth, he is building his church. Not even death and the powers of Satan will prevent him from doing so. Have the fundamentalists won? As long as faithful men stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, as long as Jesus is the sovereign master of the very church he's building, the only answer possible is a resounding yes. Jesus Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who builds your church. We thank you that the foundation is clear. Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Enable us to remain faithful to that. And Father, for those among us who do not see him as that, open their eyes, open their hearts, change their hearts, bring them to faith in the true God of the Bible revealed to us in Jesus Christ who died for his church and came back to life for her. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.